Welcome to Freedom Fellowship. You can follow us online at cometofreedom.com. My dad loves preaching verse by verse studies of the Word of God giving its full counsel. His studies pay particular attention to the practical application, contemporary examples, and incorporates the Word into our daily lives. Enjoy today's sermon from the book of Exodus, and make sure to subscribe right now so you don't miss any future teachings. Exodus 21 this morning. I am excited finally to get into this chapter with you guys. Um, I will tell you guys, I, I normally have a pretty good idea of how I'm going to approach a passage of Scripture, uh, normally a whole week, two weeks before I preach it. Uh, this week, it didn't come together until yesterday morning. Uh, I was having a very hard time in how to approach this, but now I'm very, very excited uh, to get into Exodus 21 with you guys this morning. And I'd love to pray with you before we uh, jump into our study through Exodus. Um, <clears throat> so, Father, we are grateful for this morning. God, it is good for the saints, Lord, those who call upon your name, God, to gather together and to worship you in spirit and in truth. And as we've been considering your Holy Spirit on Tuesday evenings here, Lord, we, we know that your word that we are about to uh, open, Lord, and to, to study um, is spirit. God, it is your word. God, we want to receive and hear that our faith may grow that we may be doers of your word and not hearers only. Lord, you desire to uh, reveal yourself. God, I know that you have revelation for us this morning, and we don't want to miss it. Lord, even as we get into some hard things in the Old Testament, uh, we thank you that this volume of this entire book is all about you, Jesus. God, we pray that we would be able to see you more clearly, to understand more of your character, Father, for you are a good dad. Lord, you love us so much. You've done so much for us. We are so grateful for times like this. God, I pray that our hearts would be open now to receive what you would have for us. Amen. So as we've been studying, we just finished the Ten Commandments a couple weeks ago. Um, and again, there's a lot of uh, confusion when it comes around Old Testament law and regulations because aren't we New Testament saves our saints? Aren't we on this side of the cross? Didn't Jesus fulfill the law? And there is this tension between this law and grace. But one of those things that we've seen as we considered the Ten Commandments over many weeks, there's a uniqueness when it comes to the law of God, the Ten Commandments. And I just want to consider with you guys uh, just some of the things, because this morning we started in chapter 21, uh, 22, and 23, is referred to as the law of Moses. And there, there's some big differences between the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law of Moses. So the law of God, guys, in Exodus 20, Okay, and then we have the law of Moses, which continues on from here into Leviticus. We also know that the law of God is what Paul referred to. Where are you coming up with this, Pastor? Romans chapter 7. You can look at it yourself. The Apostle Paul brings some beautiful doctrine and teaching around the law of God. And then we see Jesus speak about the law of Moses in John chapter 7. We also know that the law of God was given to who? Millions of people. They heard God's voice audibly. It wasn't just Moses up there coming down with these tablets. No, God spoke. And as I shared before, the rabbis actually taught that there were 70 known languages at that time. And when God spoke, they believed that it was in all those languages. But we know for sure the children of Israel there at Sinai, millions of them set free from the bondage, the slavery of Egypt. God has set them free. They're headed towards the promised land, and there God speaks, not just to Mo, but all of Israel. Pretty cool. But when it comes to the law of Moses, did all the people hear those laws given? No, that was only dictated to or given to Moses himself privately. We also know the law of God um, it was God writing directly, Exodus 31, 18, okay? He actually wrote on the tablet of stone. How many of you guys have some old baseball cards, football cards with an autograph on them? Oh, yeah, go Brett Favre. You know, it's just like you get pretty stoked about that stuff, right? How much is that worth? How much with the Ten Commandments that they actually found that? <laughs> the hand of God Almighty. 
his finger writing in the tablets himself. That would be pretty cool, okay? It would be priceless. But then we have the law of Moses, which is recorded by Moses. We have the law of God, which was preserved where? Where was the Ten Commandments put? The law of God. In the ark, right? The law of Moses was not. The law of God is for all people at all times. And that's why the Ten Commandments is so important. As we studied through it, we see, man, if man would just do this, all people, whether Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter. If all of mankind would do this, which God has instructed us to do, if we would do this, how different our world would look, right? So the law of Moses is for the Jews exclusively. So, we're going to pick it up a little bit in chapter 20 because we ended with the 10th commandment and I want to read that last paragraph. You guys know there aren't uh, par- or chapter breaks in the original manuscripts, right? And it's just a continued thought. Can someone grab my water bottle, Uriah, Sonny, and bring it over here? I think it's over there Some. Oh, Jeremiah stole it. Go figure. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremiah. You're a good one, brother. All right, so as we continue on and we're looking into the law here, I want us to keep in mind and be constantly asking ourselves, how do I love God and love my neighbor? Because the whole law can be summed up in love, right? I even posed the question this week, if there was one law you could put into place to better humanity, what would it be? And so many of your responses came back around, hey, we just need to keep the law of love. Like, if we're just really loving each other, things would work out, you know? And there were some other really good tips, like, hey, I would put in a law that we can't be on social media anymore. (laughs) That would fix a lot of problems too, amen? But again, social media would look a lot different if we just loved each other, right? So, I want us to keep that in mind. So loving our neighbor, it can be a very abstract idea, but it's those day-to-day, that's our life. That's our reality, okay? Even this morning, who's your neighbor? Well, who are you sitting next to? Okay, when you get home, who's your neighbor? <laughs> people you live around when you're at work, who's your neighbor? So it's just those people that God put into our life. And I also want us to see in this section the character of God. Because a lot of people who want to get really legalistic and say, hey, you've got to keep all 613 of the Old Testament laws as a, as a, as a Gentile believer in Jesus. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you need to go to a Bible teaching church. <laughs> the Bible is very clear what we're to do with the law. And there's a place for it because it is a tutor which points us to Christ. Okay, It's clearly taught. If you're confused about that, study the book of Galatians. It can't get more crystal for us as believers. Um, But one of the things we need to understand the character of God, and I hope as we study through uh, these books of the Torah that you guys really see and you're growing in your knowledge of who God is and what he is like. Because we will see this morning for sure that God's just, but also in him being just, we find mercy and compassion, and we can't miss that. So God wants his people really to reflect him. And one of my favorite verses comes out of Micah uh, 6, 8. A lot of you guys are familiar with this. And he's told, he's told us, oh man, what, what does the Lord require of us? And he makes it very simple. There's three things. <laughs> Do judge justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Wow. There's some pretty good advice from God. <laughs> you you want to you you know what I want of you guys? Hey, do what's right. Do it. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Because a lot of people have opinions about what's just and what's fair. You know, I think we as Christians, we need to be slow to speak. Okay? Let's listen. Let's see what's going on and let's go do something about it. Also, love kindness and walk humbly with your God. So we notice that there are two different sections as we come to Exodus 21 this morning. Uh, With these, we need to also understand culture and the context in which um, these things are taking place to understand them. And I think there's a lot of mistakes that can be made, but two mistakes we can make for sure is when it comes to the law, you can completely omit them. I'm having nothing to do with them. Or you adopt them as case law for Freedom Fellowship. Okay, (laughs) that's not what we're supposed to do. 
So what we will extract this morning are the principles that are still binding and relevant. So there are six categories we're going to consider this morning, and we're going to consider worship together, okay? Let's look at chapter 21st. We're going to pick it up at verse 22. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. And you shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. An altar of the earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of a hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by the steps to my altar, that your nakedness may be exposed on it. So here's an expansion, really, of the second commandment, okay? And we find four things here that I love. First of all, there's a simplicity that we see in the second part of verse 24 and 25 here, okay? This is really just a barbecue, Okay, let's check this out for a second. Um, and when it comes to our church family here, the simplicity part, I don't know if you guys know this about us, we like to keep things simple here. Okay, let's keep it about Jesus. Okay, and whatever we do, let's keep it simply about Jesus. So when it comes to our worship here at Freedom Fellowship, I want to keep it simple, clean, and beautiful. Can we do that? That's it. That will honor the Lord. Also in verse 26, do you see a purity here? When it comes to worship, no nakedness. Do you guys know that the priests had the robes? Do you guys know the priests had special underwear back then? Okay? So it's one of those things. That's in Exodus 28, 42, if you want to look it up. But for us, when you come here to worship, wear clothes. Okay? Locality. I know it's the middle of winter. You guys are just like, hey, pastor's like 20 degrees outside. Of course I'm going to wear some clothes. Um, locality. Okay, look at the second part of verse 24. I love this. We don't have to return to Sinai. Did you catch what he said here? In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you. Wherever that, even in Kukuna, Wisconsin, I like to think I'm living on a tropical island in the middle of winter. So, but he also says, I will come to you and I will bless you. Isn't that really cool? So now after Pentecost, okay, people all over the world are meeting in cafeterias and cathedrals, okay, in mud huts and on Main Street in Kakuna. Okay, doesn't matter where they're meeting, okay? But we are worshiping because God inhabits the praise of his people. Do you guys know that God is here with us? We are his people, and he has promised to be with us. You can jot down John chapter 4, verse 21 and verse 24. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me that the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, okay, we have Shechem, Mount Gerizim, and Mount uh, Ebal, okay? Gerizim means blessing in this mountain over here. Ebal means curse. It doesn't matter which mountain. It doesn't matter where you are, okay, in the West Bank there. And he goes on to say, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. For true worshipers, he goes on in verse 24 to say, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Some of the coolest worship I've been a part of has been in places that didn't even have a church building. Believers just gathering together, most sitting on a dirt ground, a few wooden benches put together. I've also experienced some pretty cool worship in lockup where people don't have the freedom to go where they want. They're locked down. And guess what? God even meets people there. It's so cool. Does God ever meet you when you worship? Yeah. 
There's times I'm just, you know, I feel bad when you guys have to sit around me when I'm worshiping. I don't sing the best. <laughs> so, but there's times just driving around in the car where I'm just singing a new song to the Lord. God puts something in my heart and I'm just worshiping him and his presence just fills my car. I'm like, this is so cool. I just want to drive all day long. <laughs> so it's wherever we are. And that's what he's saying here. So there's no reason for a holy pilgrimage anywhere. Another thing I want us to see, guys, is sacrifices. And that's spoken of in verse 24. There's burnt and peace offerings. Now, the burnt offerings uh, were completely to make atonement for sins. Do you guys know that sin is serious? Okay, The only way to deal with it, life needs to be given. That's why Jesus was the ultimate, the final sacrifice. Okay, um, Also, we have the peace offering, the shalom offering, the fellowship offering. It's to give thanks. Didn't burn it, but they enjoyed it as a barbecue for the fellowship. That's those sacrifices. So, of course, guys, all sacrifices point to who? Jesus, right? Forgiveness of sins and brings peace and reconciliation. Isn't that what Jesus' sacrifice has done for you and I? Absolutely, okay? So also, guys, we see in Hebrews that Jesus is our altar. Okay, you gals on Friday mornings are studying through the book of Hebrews. You're in chapter 12 right now. When you get to chapter 13, verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, speak about Jesus being our altar, it is really cool. Also, we see the altar spoken of here, which is this cosmic collision of a holy God and sinful man. And also in regards to the altar, okay, it screams of sacrifice where God is pleased and alienated man is reconciled. And also, guys, we commemorate this altar on Good Friday because what is Good Friday for you and I? We remember what Jesus did on the cross. You guys understand the cross was that altar for us. That is where the final sacrifice was given. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was pierced, guys, for our transgressions. His blood was shed so we could be forgiven to make this New Testament covenant. How beautiful, huh? All right, this is where it's going to get fun. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in this section because this is the most misunderstood passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. We should not be on social media because last night we had a troll in one of the groups I'm in. talking. We were talking about just how cool it is that, hey, you know what? The earth is a new earth, okay? Things were created, and we there's proof. I love this group, okay? But there was a troll on there just... God of slavery, how can you guys want anything to do with him? And I'm just like, oh, I wish that dude would be at church tomorrow morning to set him straight because obviously he does not know what he's talking about. But there is a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to this passage of Scripture because what does God say about slavery? Does he really allow it? Well, let's take a look and consider biblically what he has to say. We'll pick it up in verse uh, 1 now of chapter 21. Now, these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year he shall go out free and pay nothing. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself." But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, I love my wife, I love my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall also bring him to the door of the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him for sev- or forever. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. And he shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall dwell with her according to the custom of the daughters. And if he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, her marriage rights, 
And if he does not do these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. So there's definitely some things to clarify, would you guys say, as we consider these opening verses of chapter 21. Slavery here is not what we normally think of when it comes to slavery. From the Lexham Bible Dictionary, it says slavery practice of one person owning another as property or one person owing a debt to another and repaying that debt via their labor. So no single description, guys, of slavery fits the various forms of what was taking place in the ancient world. However, it is quite different from the slavery that we're very familiar with and was practiced here in the West concerning the last few hundred years. So... There were many diverse slave experiences. Some included torture, rape, and death. Okay? I want us to remember the context. These are the Hebrew people who just spent 400 years being what? Slaves in Egypt. So let's have a big picture. Again, context is good, so they would understand. Um, but there's also protection and participation that we see very clearly here. Uh, etymology, okay, uh, word history doesn't really help us because the most common terms for slave in Hebrew or Greek, they could refer to slaves or servants, okay? So that doesn't help much. Let's begin with this. If you want to know God's heart about slavery on slavery uh, as we know it, then we need to read Exodus, Okay, we need to understand the Hebrew slaves and how he delivered them out of Egypt and what God thinks about brutal slavery when a life is stolen from them. You can jot down chapter 20, verse 2. Also, as you look at the laws in their ancient cultural context, you're going to see that God is working with Israel and he finds them and thus he pushes them towards justice. And isn't that what God does with us when we come to faith in him? It's like, oh, there is right and wrong. People are being wronged. There is just evil. Something needs to be done, okay? This is just. That's what he does, and that's what he's doing with his people here. You see, slavery isn't abolished in the Bible, but it is under, uh, it's undermined. For example, Israel was to reenact the exodus by releasing slaves and releasing all debts every seven years, and this was very revolutionary in the ancient world. It also, we have people uh, who are often in deep debt would actually hire themselves out. Hey, will you, rich dude, (laughs) you'll be my master, I'll be your slave, I need to work off this debt. So that is a lot of what was going on. They were in a contract, like contract workers, Okay, who would agree on, hey, I'll work for this for X amount of years to be and then be set free. Also, the Bible would say um, is okay with slavery as we think it. It's just not true, okay? Um, And that's why it's good that we are students of the Bible. That's why it's good that we're actually studying Exodus 21 here because this is going to answer a lot of questions, you know, because we're going to have those people who don't believe, well, you're God, this God of love you have, why did he institute slavery? He didn't institute slavery anywhere in the Bible, okay? Slavery was already going on. What he was putting forth were things to protect slaves, that they could be set free, okay? And that's one thing I love about the gospel. Do you guys know that everywhere the gospel goes, there's liberation? Women find rights. Slaves are set free. (laughs) That's the reality of the gospel, That's the heart of God, guys. So what we do see here, guys, um, in 21.16, this was a type of servanthood that is very different than American slavery. There is no single or coherent attitude towards slavery in the New Testament except that slavery is accepted as an institution, not endorsed, (laughs) but accepted. Okay, We need to understand that. I think of Jesus in Matthew 19. You guys remember when they came and they asked him about divorce. What do we know about God's take on divorce? He doesn't like it. He hates it. Okay? But what did Jesus say there? Hey, because of the hardness of your heart, 
dude who's terrorizing your wife, abusing your wife, you can divorce her. God given out, even though that wasn't his heart and his desire, hey, I'm going to give a law and divorce will be permitted. And it was actually for protection. And I kind of see that here when it comes to slavery. Hey, you guys are going to do it anyways. Just like people just get divorced, (laughs) you're going to do it. But this is what it's going to look like if you're going to do it. And it really is for protection. Now, Old Testament slavery is taken for granted and is not explicitly commanded in the New Testament. Think about the Apostle Paul. I love studying his letters. A lot of you guys enjoy uh, those letters also. But it, he wrote a book of the Bible to a slave owner. You guys remember that? Philemon asking to accept a runaway slave, Onesimus, right? Though he was once a thief and he was a fugitive, hey, this is now a brother in the Lord. He is redeemed. He is forgiven. I love that. Receive him back. So both Jesus and Paul use slave imagery in different um, metaphors that we see in a very positive connotations, right? Think about it. For example, Jesus portrays a true follower of his as a slave, right? We also liken slavery to, he likened slavery to discipleship. And he also tells many parables which slaves um, are characters. So if he didn't talk about slaves when Rome, you guys understand Rome was the power at the time of Christ, Do you guys know that almost 400,000 Romans were slaves? That was 40% of the empire would be considered slaves. So Jesus here spoke of it. First, we see here it is voluntary. When you think about slavery at that time, it was voluntary, okay? Um, You hired yourself out. Secondly, it was temporary, okay? Like God's making it very clear here, six years, You're free to go. Thirdly, it was civil. It was often viewed as a master helping one get out of debt. Fourthly, guys, it was not racially based or oppressive. Okay, the Hebrews had lived under a system of slavery. God gave them freedom and isn't going to place them under another one here. And then the fifth thing, guys, it was concerned about the family unit. Did you guys catch that? God cares about that. Okay, that's the heart of our God. That's his character. So the Hebrews had lived under a system of slavery. God gave them this freedom. And then when it comes to the family, did you guys catch that? Or actually, do you guys know that arranged marriages happen all over the world? And they actually work out most of the time? Yeah, go figure. And that's what we're kind of seeing here. Look at the second part of verse 4. He shall go out. This seems strange, but she also had a debt to pay off, right? So this is coming to a family here and couldn't just leave. So he could wait for her. I think of Jacob. Do you guys remember there was Leah and Rachel? Didn't he serve 14 years for his bride? Think about that, okay? So he could purchase her freedom early from whatever trade he may have or had learned Or he could work permanently with his master, which we see in verses 5 and 6. Hey, I love my master. I love my wife. I love my kids. I want to stay. And they had the choice to do that. So while the Old Testament doesn't condemn slavery outright, the Bible could could really read as showing us this consistent theme of liberation for slavery. That is what you learn when you actually read the Bible. Okay, so don't let anyone ever tell you that God instituted slavery. No, slavery was already there. What God has done is put things into place to liberate slaves. That's actually what the Bible teaches. So this liberation, guys, it culminates in Luke, jot it down, chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, in which Jesus states that God sent him to proclaim what? Liberty to the captives, right? So due to Christ's role in liberation, Paul declares there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Galatians 3, verse 28. And then verse 5 and 6, guys, I love these verses. I've shared this passage. I used to do youth ministry. I think I must have shared this 30 times with our youth group. The youth group was called Dulos Youth Group. 
Doulos is a Greek word for bond servant. Enslaved without bondage. I love my God and I will serve him. Okay? We weren't taking awls and putting you know, piercings in our ears, although I used to wear earrings back then. <laughs> um, but I wanted to teach the kids, hey, we serve our God because we love him. It's not because we have to. It's because we love him. How many youth groupers do we have in here that were part of Doulos Youth Group? No, but you came to our camps. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Um, so this is done before the Lord. He says, I love my master, okay? If serving over six years, okay, they've come to a doorpost, and this was done before God, right? It was public when they would go to the front door, the doorpost, piercing the outside on the doorpost. So it wasn't inside secretly. And I think people need to know that, okay? Does God call us to be secret servant saints? No, okay? Go public with your serving. You know, hey, I give you this cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, you know? Let people know, I'm loving you, I'm serving you because of Jesus, okay? I'm a good employee because I love Jesus. I'm actually working for the man upstairs, <laughs> you know? Let people know, Um also, I want us to catch that this is a picture of, uh, of covenant, right? We see blood, uh, you know, the permanence here of it. Uh, the ear is being bound to the house. I think that's a cool picture, right? So we're sons and daughters of the master. Don't ever forget that, guys. So we are earthly bound to him in service because we have to do it? No. Okay, we choose to. We love our master, so verses 7 through 10 then, this kind of sounds harsh, okay, selling your daughter as a slave, but again, this is different because of arranged marriages. There's a higher probability of a daughter who worked there to rich or be married or betrothed to a man who was probably rich, would be able to take care of her, that she wasn't just let go to fend for herself. And in that day, women were oppressed badly. So this was actually a form of protection. So it's simply their father's desire that she would have the best opportunity to break out of this, you know, desperate perpetual poverty that they're in. So this is God really caring for his daughters. You know, it's a beautiful picture. Um, I do want to share... Uh, just for a moment, just a cool picture as we consider this bondservant, okay? Because it really points to Jesus, doesn't it? And that's something we're going to find as we go through the law. So much of what we're going to see all points to Jesus, okay? Um, boom. Well, that's not the one I had. Oh, here it is. I had some side notes. You guys will like this, okay? So we're considering the law of Moses here, right? Okay. Again, we want to look at the person and the nature of God, but that also would include the person and the nature of his son, okay? The life he's given, the sacrifices he's made. And when it comes to these ordinances and regulations that we're going through, it ultimately is going to point to us in us following him, Okay, so the parameters that we just read here concerning slavery, um, I think it's cool. Male slaves were required to serve the six years, but if they chose to stay that seventh year and remain, they would be taken to the doorpost and they'd have their ear being pierced. And that would be a sign of choice. I have chosen. So I want us to keep that in mind when we consider Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God did not consider it a robbery, right? You can jot down Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, okay? He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of what? No reputation, okay? He emptied himself, and he took on the form of a what? A servant, a slave, right? And he was made in the likeness of man. So we actually saw our God take the place of a servant? R really? And isn't Jesus the ultimate servant? Right? Isn't he our example? He's actually the perfect servant. So just as the six years in the Old Testament here, a slave would serve, really speaks to the number of man. Do you guys know six is the number of man? Did Jesus not humble himself and become a, a man? 
right? So just as the seventh year then talks about completion in the Bible, Jesus completed the work that needed to be done for reconciling sinful man back to the Father. That's what he did. John 17, 21 tells us that. And then we see the Old Testament slave could choose to remain a slave if or for the love of his family and master. And Jesus chose to become a slave, right? He chose to do that because of the love of his bride, right? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, 26, and 27 speak to that. Also for the love of his kids, John 1, verse 12. And also for the love of his father, John 8, 29. So we see Jesus, I love my master, my father, right? I love my bride. I love my kids. Of course I'm going to choose to serve. And I want you guys to jot down and listen carefully to Psalm 40. This just blew my mind this week. That's blowing my mind, by the way. All right, listen in verse 6. We read this upstairs this morning during prayer. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. This is a messianic psalm, guys. This is speaking of Jesus. You gave me an open ear. Burn offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It's all written about me. And I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within me. And doesn't Hebrews 10, verse 6 through 8, quote that and let us know that this is a messianic psalm? Okay. A servant, you opened my ear. And that's what would happen. They would put an a, a earring in, a ring. Being pierced at that time wasn't a normal thing. I know it's very normal today. We see people pierced all over the place. But back then, it's like, I don't want to get, that would hurt, you know. But hey, that was a sign. I'm wearing, I'm a bond servant. I love, my, I'm free. But I chose to love my master and stay with him. And I love my family. So I think it's really cool, okay, when we consider the Old Testament slaves, guys, them being pierced in that way. Do you guys know that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions? Okay. You guys know when you take, partake of communion, they pierce the bread? Okay. It's just one of those things. It's a neat picture that we see here of what Jesus did as a person is pierced against that doorpost. And isn't it cool the doorpost there? What did the Jews know about the doorpost at this point? You guys have been with me. We've been studying Exodus. Was not the lamb of, or the lamb, the blood of a lamb to be, you know, painted there upon the doorpost. Apply the blood in the shape of a cross. I want you to go to that doorpost. If you love me, you will be my servant. Wow, willingly. Isn't that a cool picture? I love it. So, <laughs> a lot more could be said there, but I want you guys to catch one more thing because we have the blood of the Passover lamb. We're, we're seeing this perfect picture here, okay? It all points to Jesus. That's what I love about the scriptures. The volume of the book, it's about him. We're seeing it here. But go on in verse 6 with me for a second. And he shall serve him for how long? Now, you guys might trip and think about Jesus. Well, I know he came to serve us. He came to do what we couldn't do, okay? The greatest servant of all time laying down his life, okay? Dying that we may live pretty awesome, right? But do you guys know that he is continually a servant to us? It's hard for us to understand because he's God. I'm created for you, for your glory. I am to serve you. Yes, but he also serves us. I think of John 13 when he washed the disciples' feet. <laughs> I'm teaching you guys something. <laughs> do likewise. You keep serving. Keep humbling yourself. But also, guys, we're told in Luke 12, 37, okay, that he will gird himself again and everybody who looks for him to return, guys, we're told there he's coming back to serve us. That's what the scriptures say. I think that's pretty amazing to think about. And as I accept this, as I take time to reflect on who Jesus is, that he's for, doesn't he ever live to make intercession for us? That's what he's doing right now. He's serving us right now, guys, okay? As I think upon my Savior, and if I choose to live a life of what would Jesus do <laughs> if I am to follow him to be his disciple, I'm going to reflect that servanthood. 
It's not I serve for a season, I put in my time, now I do my own thing, and I live for myself. That's our mentality when it comes to retirement, right? It's all about me. It's not. We serve. And even when we come back with Jesus during the millennium, you guys know what we're taught clearly in Scripture? We're going to be serving. Why? Because that's what Jesus is doing. So I want you guys to think about that. We have great opportunity. And I think when you guys are treated like slaves, we should rejoice and not be grumpy about it. Like, oh, they're just taking me for granted. Don't they see all the stuff I do? Why am I never thanked? That should be a good thing if you're never thanked. Because if you're truly a slave, people should look at you like that. Okay? We got a pastoral training group. Servanthood is going to be a huge theme in the training. But let me tell you what. I believe a pastor, a leader, should be a servant of all if we're following Jesus. And that's not just for pastors. That's for all of us as Christians. We should be treated as such. Amen? So if you're being tested and you're not getting the gratitude you want, be thankful because you're following Jesus. If people are asking of you to do this or that, guess what? They're seeing Christ in you. Hey, I can take advantage of them. They'll serve me. (laughs) Great. Praise God because I'm following Jesus. We serve. So I want us to see Jesus as we're going through this. Now, let's fly through the second half here. We'll go a little quicker. Oh, I got time. We're doing good. All right, let's consider homicide now. Intentional or unintentional. Look at verse 12 with me. Okay, this is not murder. Let's read. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where you may flee. But if a man acts in premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So surrounding culture never considered intent of homicide cases, right? So capital punishment appears to be a very harsh thing, but it's because God values human life. Do you understand the why behind this? Okay, above all things, he cares about human life. So the death penalty was invoked, not out of indifference for life, but because each human life has tremendous value. Each one of you has worth. You may feel worthless, but God has given you value. He has created you. He has given you life, each and every one of you. So wherever you personally land on the death penalty debate, please know the principle, guys. People matter to God. That's what matters. People matter to God. So one can argue against the death penalty today by saying, hey, I agree with the principle, but I don't like the process in the fallen world. And that's okay, okay? So there are times where we should disagree with the death penalty because of process, but not because of principle. Does that make sense? That's what I see here, and I know God's right. So that brings, don't you guys love that God brings clarity to a lot that goes on in our lives? All right, you think guys assaulting parents should be okay? No, no. When I was in Jamaica, my first missions trip ever, we went to a boy's prison It wasn't really there. We pulled up. It was on the back part of the acreage. A brick building with one little hole. That was their window. That's all the light they got. Well, we kind of forced ourselves in there because they also went to the bathroom in this one thing, their house. Nastiest thing I've ever smelled. We brought bleach with. We knew what we are going to be doing there. You know, it was great they had an orphanage in the front, but they were holding children in the back. And they had a fence around the outer gate, so this was the first time the kids were outside in almost a month. And they would fight over who got to sleep on the metal bed. They didn't have a mattress. And I met one little guy who was put in there, and he was waiting for trial. He was six years old for murdering his dad. Six years old. Where do children learn this? 
it's one of those times where the word of God hit me in a very real way. You guys who have been hanging with us for a while, you know, we, we think we're living in the last days. We don't know the day or the hour. But God tells us you'll know the times and the seasons. And we're told that children are not going to love their parents. They're going to honor their parents. They will not respect their parents. And we see that today in our society. Okay, we have a lot of parents who are just trying to make it through. Okay, hopefully we can be friends by the time they are adults and that will continue. The thought of disciplining kids, that's not right, though we know it's good for them, it's the best thing for them. But we see people getting hostile towards their parents. And this is something that God takes very serious when it comes to our moms and dads. We're going to look at verse 15 and 16 here. And again, you guys remember the fifth commandment? Honor thy father and mother, right? So it says, And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father and his mother shall surely be put to death. So when it talks in verse 17 about strikes or curses, the curses is more serious offense uh, than the mere utterance of a word in anger, guys. So essentially, the opposite of the fifth commandment here, and if you consider and study ancient Eastern cultures of the day that considered curses to be literally, you know, infecting physical harm upon a person to the point of death. So especially if a deity would be evoked in that. So assault on parents, guys, maybe it it shouldn't be to death penalty today, but at least hear how important the fifth commandment is to the Lord when he says you are to honor your father and mother. That's something that God takes very seriously, and we talked about that at length. Now I want to take a look at verse 16 because this specifically talks about human trafficking. Okay? Well, aren't you guys glad that doesn't happen? I have a cute daughter. A lot of you guys know I struggle with anxiety. And some of the worst anxiety that I've had in my life were those early years when my littles were little bitties outside. They would just be outside just playing in the yard. I couldn't just sit inside the house. Because I live in a day and an age, when will a van pull up and my kid just disappear? I wish things, I didn't grow up like that. We didn't have those thoughts when I was a kid. But that is a very real, you know, real reality today. Things are happening. We're told not to steal, right? Eighth commandment. Verse 16 tells us here, he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he's found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. Is there an issue with stealing people today? Absolutely, guys. Okay, it's modern day slavery. Okay, neo-slavery. It's the second largest and fastest growing international crime that is going on today in the world. God hates this. And it is going on. I know people, some of you guys remember Levi Chaya. Okay, he was our youth pastor years back. Okay, he was a part of a group where they were going into Mexico and raiding into some homes you know, where children were being taken. Human trafficking was going on and setting them free. Okay, one of the ministries Sonny and I support our family is IJM, International Justice Mission. Okay, they're doing a lot of work all over the world setting people free in this way. So it's going on. It's estimated, guys, it's $150 billion a year global industry. So this is growing. And human trafficking is happening Do you guys know they catch a bunch between Milwaukee and Fond du Lac? Okay, we have stuff coming up and down right here. We hear people going missing, like, where do they go? What happened? I mean, it's happening, you know, (laughs) we have it good here. That stuff doesn't happen around here. You know, it's happening all over the world and even in our own backyard, guys. Okay, we've had gals come and speak here at church before about sex trafficking right here in the Fox Valley. When I was doing the chaplaincy for our county, we had a women's house that was kind of under the radar so nobody knew about it. And few of the women that came through were literally, you know, sex trafficked right here in the Fox Valley. You know, and we want to protect. We want to do our part. So it comes in a lot of different forms, guys. Um, I won't talk about that, but sex trafficking, 
Uh, child sex trafficking is a very real thing. Um, there's also forced child labor laws and forced labor. Anyways, it's just yucky. Let's move on to the next one. Number six, threatening of life injuries here. Again, not murder, okay? Uh, but this will be our last big chunk, and then we'll wrap up. Verse 18, um, if men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and he walks about outside with his staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and he shall provide for him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod and that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains, remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. And if a man, verse 22, or if men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished according to the woman's uh, husband imposes upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male and female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of the tooth. And if an ox, how many guys own an ox? Show hands. If you have an ox and it gores a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and it shall uh, not be (coughs) eaten. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past and has been made known to his owner and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner also shall be put to death. And if there is imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life. Whatever is imposed on him, whether it is uh, gored a son or gored a daughter, according to the judgment, it shall be done to him. And if the ox gores a male or female servant, it shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. In verse 33, if a man opens a pit, and a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to their owner, but the dead animal shall be his. And if a man's ox hurts another, so it dies, then they shall sell and the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox, and they shall also divide in verse 36, or if it was known to the ox, uh, tended to thrust in times past, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall pay, or pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. Wow, so it covers a lot, and I'm actually glad this is in here, guys. Uh, we're given some fight club rules, right? If you get into fight, okay, so we saw concerning a slave in verse 20 and 21, a slave or a servant is not property. You're not allowed to take their life, okay? Concerning a pregnant woman in verse 22 to 25, as an innocent bystander, the men need to take care of this, okay? If there's no death, <clears throat> there's a fine. If life is taken, then it is life for life. Do you guys notice that the fetus is a life, okay? This might sound barbaric, but guys, this was in advance of justice, okay? It was near the Eastern Codes. Punishment is fit to the crime. The eye for an eye became the lex talius, okay? The law of retaliation. And this law was set up so the rich couldn't get off. Normally, they could pay any fine, which is different than to say, you know, a, a day's labor or whatever. So an eye for an eye. You guys know that a lot of the Muslim world that, you know, practices Sharia law, this is still a thing. Iran, Pakistan are known for this. I have an uncle from Iran. He's missing a finger because he sold something as a kid. Okay? They take these things serious. Um, 
I love what Cortera Scott King, this was the wife of Martin Luther King Jr., she said this, and she used the phrase in the context of uh, racial violence. The old law of an eye for an eye leaves everyone blind. And I thought that was quite fitting in this context this morning. So did God really mean that? <laughs> no, okay? In verse 18 and 19, guys, the man was fined, and he wasn't told to go you know, and wound the man that wounded him. So in verse 26, if a slave lost an eye, he wasn't told to go take his master's eye out. So this is largely trying to describe the penalty, um, what it must be when a person is hurt, okay? If the ruined person, you know, you ruin somebody's eye as much as it would hurt, okay, as if the eye would be taken yourself. So there were these judges. Did you guys check or catch that? to figure out what would apply for those things. And we have that today. You did this wrong. You hurt me in this way. Well, judge, well, this is what you're going to owe. This is what you're going to have to do to make it right. Okay? So Jesus basically communicated this rule. Uh, wasn't set up for ordinary relationships, but it was really to be a guide the judges in what those assessing damages would look like. So Christians, we should seek the really intimate... Or, um, we should understand what God's heart is when it comes to these type of things, okay? When we know his own generosity, when we understand God's mercy in personal relationships, okay, on the cross, Jesus asked what? Father, forgive them, okay? When we grasp that, guys, okay, um, we don't say, Lord, please crucify him. <laughs> you know, that's not the heart of God, we need to catch God's heart when we go through these things. So it's very forward, 26 and 27, don't abuse your servants, <laughs> okay? So if you have employees, don't abuse them. <laughs> Laws about animals in verse 28 to 32 here. So if your dog has a history of biting people, hey, you're going to get into trouble. You understand that, okay? We grew up a couple, our kids, just a couple houses down when they were little, there were two pit bulls that lived in the house, We'd walk by, and they're like slamming up against the windows trying to break through. That was a scary thing to the point I didn't want to walk past that house, you know, because what would happen if those dogs that were, you know, barking like crazy and trying to get out the window at us, what would happen? Maybe the dog would just come up and lick us. I don't know, okay? I know many people who have been mauled by dogs. And if it happens, and I told, like, we have a, goal, or a German Shepherd, okay? She's never bit anybody okay but if she bites somebody and i told them we're putting the dog down you know she's never viciously and it's one of those things guys there's just right and wrong and where do you get that type of conviction from from the word of god right so these are basically property laws if you look at verse 33 to 36 here so it's important to have these things in place homeowners insurance is a good thing you never know what's going to happen at your house right so you know Whatever, whatever you have, you can choose progressive, all state, or nationwide. The Bible doesn't say, but it's just good practice, right? You want to make sure things are covered. That's the point. As we follow God, we need to do what's right in that way. And I just want to close with this thought. Our time's up. Um, when it comes to the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, you know, someone slaps you on the cheek. What did Jesus tell us to do? Okay. God's character comes around mercy. And we need to learn what that means as believers. You know, because I have a tendency, like, I don't know. An example. I was in junior high. I'm two years older than my brothers. And there was a gangbanger who was picking on my uh, younger brother, they were twins, but one of them was quite little compared to the other one. And this gangbanger was literally beating on my brother. I didn't practice mercy back then. I beat the kid a lot worse than he beat up my brother. That was my mentality. You do something wrong, I'm going to get you back and back worse that you never do it again. But as a Christian, guys, that should never be our mentality. And that's why we have this example in Christ. If you're going to follow me, this is what you do. You learn to turn that other cheek. I am merciful. 
and I want you to be merciful likewise. So now in that situation, walking with Jesus, I would go to this man now, Dan, and I would share the love of my Savior with him rather than beating him up. That's what God does when he changes us. And that's his heart. And that's what we see revealed in the scriptures here. So you guys see how important it is that we get God's character when it comes to his laws. Otherwise, we're going to miss the points. And I think this morning, this is a very good study for you and I, because these are a lot of things that people struggle with when it comes to the Bible. And we're to give a defense for the faith that we have. So when you have a troll saying, hey, your God instituted slavery, he's horrible and wicked, how can you have anything to do with him? You can say, hey, you don't have to use the word moron, but you can say, hey, buddy, <laughs> have you actually read the Bible? Why don't we have a conversation? Let's talk through Exodus 21 together. Do you see what was going on? The world was already used to slaves. That's what they knew. God put things in place to liberate slaves, to set them free. That's the heart of God. And that's what he's done for you and I, amen? You guys know that we were enslaved to this world, but he has set us free. The truth sets us free. That's what Jesus has done. So Father in heaven, we are so grateful as always. I love as we consider truth and our world, God, just the good and the evil. Lord, we thank you for your heart. We thank you that... You care about justice, that it matters to you. And you told us as your people it should matter to us too. So would you give us wisdom, Lord, on how to do justice, Lord, how to love mercy, and how to walk with you humbly. We ask this of you. In your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening in today to Freedom Fellowship. We hope you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. If so... Would you please take a minute, like us, subscribe, and leave a review. This is a free way we can reach others with his word. You can watch video teachings of sermons on our website, cometofreedom.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.